Thank you for listening to Christian Family Church Podcast. Here at CFC, our mission is to live and communicate the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. From wherever you're listening, we hope you'll be encouraged by this week's message. know about you but baptisms really move me I get a quiver inside and I remember Rach saying how she was so greatly excited about baptisms how she loves to hug those baptismal candidates and get herself wet how many of you remember your own baptism as you as you sit here I reflect back on mine I was 28 years old I was baptised in a, in a pond on Victoria, not Victoria Station, on Caratha Station, a thousand miles north of Perth. There were black swans flying by and I remember praying that none alighted on me. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of generations and watching the band, mother and son, father and daughter playing in our band. And I know that Pam shared with me that both Josh and Rachel were baptised here on the same day and now their children are being baptised. What a wonderful thing it is to have these generations coming through. And I've just got to emphasise what Coxie was talking about, that the importance and what the girls talked about, how important it is in this place with Kids' church, Bubs' church, mops, all of these things that these people are out there now with our kids. And it takes a village. And these children have grown up and they're willing to stand up. I've been here for 13 years and I knew these girls before they could walk or talk. And now they're speaking out and they're saying, I'm going to walk with Jesus. What a wonderful thing. And it's because of us the family, the village that have raised these kids. So, I nearly didn't have a message today. I, I, had it, I left it on the table in the lounge room <laughs> and Angelina was over and she was playing with a hole punch and she was, <laughs> and she was making confetti and I mistakenly gave her a copy of an earlier draft of the thing, and I thought, oh my goodness, it's gone. What a, it'll, it'll, well, you're right, Rob. I, I thought that when Coxie said that 11.45 finish, I said, I can't do that. So you'll have to bear with me a little bit. Anyway, we did find it. Lavella had cleaned it up and put it out by the shredder. <laughs> Fortunately, it didn't get shredded. So we found it. A few years ago, Lavella and I went to Taiwan to catch up with Matthew, who was over there. He'd been over there for a couple of years. And he was teaching English over there. And after a few days, I started to feel unwell. Didn't know what was going on. We thought there was a bit of a bug going through the house that we were staying at. Anyway, cut a long story short, I collapsed and I started throwing up blood. And I ended up in hospital. 
Now, you can, this is a scary place because there's not a lot of English spoken in Taiwan. And <clears throat> I was in this scary place and I remember waking up in the hospital room with a nurse coming in with a syringe and saying, this will stop you breeding. <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, what's happening? <laughs> uh, it's a, I'm assured by Lavella and Matthew that my memory of these days are way out of whack, so you'll have to talk to them if you want to get the accurate story, because in my mind, the chronology is all out of whack. But those six days in hospital were, were quite, ex quite an experience. But when I got to the hospital, there were two people waiting for me in the ER. One was the head of nursing and one was the head of surgery. Both of these people were Christians. They were friends of Joe and Matthew from the Christian arm of that church. And these people were genuine Christians. You can imagine what it's like in Taiwan where less than 4% of the population is Christian. And these are people that are willing to stand up and be there and be a witness to God. And at the end of that time, the, the doctor actually gave me a Bible as I was leaving the hospital. <laughs> so such a great witness to these people. But these people were genuine. So the title for today's message is... Is your faith genuine? Now, the Hebrews that are being written to, as we've been travelling through Hebrews, were struggling with their faith. They were conflicted by the society that they were living in, perhaps. So the writer was concerned about how genuine were they in their faith. Hebrews 5, verses 8 to 10, says, Even though Jesus was son of God, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all of those who obeyed him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now we're told after that that he'll tell you all about Melchizedek later. He says that the Hebrews were spiritually dull in verses 12, 14. There's much more that I would like to say, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and you don't listen. In another version, it says, you have become hard of hearing. The become word in the other translations is very significant because the implication we get from that is that they weren't always that way. Then it goes on in verse 12. You have been believers for so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead... You need somebody to teach you the basics about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For somebody who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who 
through training, have the skill to recognise the difference between right and wrong. Now, the milk here refers to the early principles, the very basics. And the solid food is the meatier stuff as you go deeper into scripture and understanding about Jesus and what he stood for. These Christians should have added solid food to their diet. But according to the writer of the Hebrews, they're still babies. Babies can be handed from one person to the other, from other special people that give them care. In Ephesians 4.14, it says, Spirit, uh, says, spiritual babies, they can be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. And according to the writer, it's just difficult for these people to stick to anything. Now, that reminds me. Um, last week, Joshua was talking about digging a hole out here to plant the sign. You remember that? And he was saying how the Hebrews had hardened their hearts and had to dig through the hard part to get to the softer part underneath so that they could plant the sign and make it solid. But then, <laughs> during the week, a wind came along and blew the sign off. Now, the frame was in solid ground. It stood there quite firmly. But the glue that was attaching the sign... Failed. Now, this glue was supposed to be a super glue that would hold everything firm. But what they didn't know is when they glued it on, the paint wasn't solid enough. And so the glue took the paint off the sign. Now, they managed to catch it before it got down to the highway, I believe. And, <laughs> and now it is screwed on by 12 screws out there. So it's quite solid. But I don't know if there's a metaphor in that about glue and strength and sticking to things and so forth, but read into it whatever you like. Back to babies. Babies' main, main focus is the one person, usually their mother, who gives them care. Spiritual babies can be drawn to one particular teacher or celebrity preacher. And Paul warns against this in Corinthians. He says, you remember the passage about, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. He speaks against that. You should not be following the individual people. You should be following Jesus. Babies need a lot of sleep. How many of us are spiritual babies and are asleep in our faith without motivation to grow? Babies can be fussy and cranky, can't they? Anybody had that? Do we have spiritual babies who fuss and get cranky about issues of various things? We don't expect new Christians to be able to recognise the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. But Christians who have been Christians for a while start to need to learn to understand these things. You have been believers for a long time, says the writer. We know that the Hebrews are second generation. 
Christians. In Hebrews 2 verse 3 it says, So what makes you think you can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? So that's that one step removed from the people who stood by a mountain and heard Jesus preach. The writer of the Hebrews is clearly frustrated with them. They just don't seem to be genuine. And he says at the beginning of chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead to become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instructions about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. And so God willing, we will move forward to a better understanding. Now there's nothing distinctly Christian in this little list that he gives the word baptism that was used in this was not the Christian baptism. It's not even that word. The word used is for spiritual cleaning or cleansing. And in some translations, it is, it is translated as cleansing rites. So he's not talking about strictly Christian things. He's talking about those things that were common to Judaism and Christianity. Things that they could draw a parallel with in joint understanding because Christianity grew out of Judaism. And so it was a subtle temptation for these Jewish Christians when things got a little bit difficult, they drifted back to the ways of the Jews. Try to imagine what they were experiencing. The social media of the day was going non-stop from family and their friends. They're all tweeting. What would Moses do? Remember why we have priests or um, you're bringing shame on your family. So they're under pressure. And these Jewish Christians didn't really want to abandon religion per se but they did want to make it less distinctly Christian. Therefore, they went back to the common ground to avoid persecution. Living in this comfortable common ground that just didn't stick out so much. So the first point is, is our faith genuine and growing? The Hebrews are told in no uncertain terms that if you willfully turn away from Christ and deny him, choosing to no longer believe in his finished work, there will be consequences. Hebrews 6 verses 4 to 6 says this, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once entitled Enlightened, I'm sorry. Those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, 
who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting God's Son, they are nailing themselves to a cross once again and holding him to public shame. Tough words. Tough words. I'm not going to dwell on this passage. (laughs) I'll pass it over to you to discuss in your life groups. I'll just share these couple of comments from the Enduring Word commentary on Hebrews. It says this. There is a great temptation to shape a difficult passage into what we think what we think it should say according to our theology system or bent. We are first to be concerned with understanding what the text says, the exposition, before we are concerned with fitting it into what it says into a system of theology. Helpful, isn't it? <laughs> hmm. What about this? Satan knows scripture and this passage has rightly been called one of God's favourite passages. Oh, sorry, one of the devil's... It's it's coloured in blue on here, it's hard to read. One one of the devil's favourite passages. For the way it can be out of context condemns the struggling believer. Many Christians feel like giving up after hearing a hearing Satan preach a sermon on this text. So that's not so encouraging either. So have fun with it in your life groups. Just remember, God is faithful to those who do not deny him. Please remember that the writer doesn't hold back trying to get this message across. Last week, Andrew was sharing about those, a whole generation of people who forced to wander and die in the desert, who missed out on God's rest. If you work towards spiritual growth, you will indeed bear fruit. So in verse 7, moving down this passage, it says this, When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. It's reminiscent of Christ's parable of the sower, isn't it? Then in verse 9, the author says this. Verses 9 to 12. Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. That's important. We are confident that you are meant for better things that come with salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then, 
you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. He's, you know, he's encouraging them not to become these spiritually dull people. Instead, you will follow the example for those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and their endurance. Now, this is a passage that comes right after this condemnation of encouragement. But it should not be understood to mean that to water down the warnings of verses 4 and 6, 4 to 6. You've got to be serious about this. This is a warning. Saying these Hebrews are not there yet, but they do need encouragement. So he starts talking to them like a coach, urging the believers to press on, fight the fight, keep up the good work, follow the example of others, and be genuine. Now, we're, time's getting away, but I don't want to finish up without talking a little bit about Melchizedek. I must confess I didn't know much about him. Um, when I was given my preaching assignment on the first Sunday, um, my first reaction was three chapters, five to seven, Coxie just preached on four verses. And then I thought, who was Melchizedek anyway? So I asked John Peach. Toward the end of chapter 6, the Hebrews are reminded about Abraham and God's promise to him. It is impossible for God to lie. And for those who fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope before us. So Jesus is our perfect high priest. In chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, This hope is strong and trustworthy, an anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone there ahead of us. He has become the eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is mentioned three times in the Bible. Three verses in Genesis, once in Psalms, and then in Hebrews. And there's almost a whole chapter about him in Hebrews, chapter 7. Melchizedek was a king and priest. And he appears to Abraham in Genesis. And this is, after, this is before Abraham got the H in his name. He was Abram. And Abram had gone in and he'd fought the battles and he'd won. And the Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem, which is now Jerusalem, I think, he was a king, but he was also a priest. And Abram gave him one-tenth of his plunder as a tithe from the battles that he had fought as he was entering into the land that he was taking over. 
Now, this concept is very unusual because under Mosaic law, the only line of priesthoods were descendants from Aaron, the Levites that were allocated the priesthood, and they had the responsibility. And there was a definite, in the Hebrew thinking or the Jewish thinking, there was a definite separation of church and state, as it were. Kings were not permitted to do priestly duties. Neither were priests able to rule over the people. And we, we know this because David got into a lot of strife over trying to do the works of a priest. And Uzziah was actually struck down with leprosy when he started to try and burn incense in the temple. So in the thinking of the Hebrews, this concept of a priest and a king was difficult to understand. But now the writer of the Hebrews is saying Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So he's not only a priest, but a king. He's a ruler of us and a conduit to God as a priest. Throughout the chapter, the writer of the Hebrews is making the case of Jesus being better qualified to be a high priest than the order of Moses allows. And he concludes in chapter 7, verses 26 to 28, he is a kind of priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and he has been given the high places of honour in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of people. But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness but after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Now, can you imagine what they were thinking? Back in chapter 3, they said that Jesus was greater than Moses, who was the pillar of their faith. Then he says that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, the father of their faith. And he's, the great, he's greater than Abraham because Abraham got down on his knees before him and gave him a tithe of 10% of everything he had. So how is this? How is this possible? Jesus, greater than Melchizedek greater than Abraham, greater than Jacob, greater than Moses. Jesus is our perfect and faithful high priest. He has, is, 
and we'll continue to be the mediator, the helper, the friend of all sinners who turn to him for forgiveness. Through him, we will grow and develop endurance and inherit God's promises. That's the message to the Hebrews and to us. I'll read that again. Jesus is our perfect and faithful high priest. He has, is, and will continue to be the mediator and the helper, the friend of all sinners who turn to him for forgiveness. Through him we will grow and develop endurance and inherit God's promises. These Hebrews had lost their sense of identity. They weren't Jews and they weren't Christians. They were lost without a compass, as we heard last week. What was the next generation going to think? What about their traditions? You see, Jesus is a very different high priest. Jesus is the genuine thing. His work's finished. We don't have to continually offer we don't have to continually offer sacrifices anymore. As our high priest, we have direct access to God through him. Not through anyone else. So, what about us? Where do we stand? Are we the genuine thing? If we claim to be followers of Christ and there's no evidence, no desire to grow, no grief in the moments of our failings, then we need to review. Have we truly become followers of Christ? God's desire for us is not just to believe in him, but to let the gospel impact our lives in all the world for his glory. As I was preparing this message, I received an email from my old Toastmasters club in Geelong. Sadly, that had, club had to close a year or so ago because of COVID and the numbers dropped so much to, to a level where it wasn't a viable club anymore, so we had to close the club. But Ange was writing to the members and trying to get a reunion together in, in April. And I thought to myself, what are they going to remember me by? And I, I, know, I know what they'll remember me by. They'll remember me by the 20 or so speeches that I, I gave in, in club, club speeches and contests that featured my granddaughters, Anastasia and Evangelina. And I know when I get together with them, they'll ask, how are the girls going? Because vicariously, they were watching my granddaughters grow over the three or four years that I was going down there telling them all sorts of stories about them. 
Now, it's a bit different here in this place. The other day I was out at the coffee machine and somebody said to me, where's your cap? Um, I, actually, I'd put it on the chair over here and I still had worn the cap to church that day. And somebody else spoke to me another day, again, at the coffee queue. Says, where's your tie? <laughs> I rushed out that day because I was on duty. I was on greeting and I'd forgotten and I'd had to rush in and I forgot to put my tie on. So I thought, do I really want... I'm, I'm just about at the end now, so if the band would like to, to come up and join us. I, I thought to myself, isn't that interesting? I'm remembered by what I wear. <laughs> or maybe because I stand in the coffee queue. And, and spend money on missions. But do I really want to be remembered for that? The, we're, going to, we're going to sing a song at the end and, and I would like to say that this song really says the way I would like to be remembered. Now we actually sang this song last Sunday at the beginning of the service and I was out there on greeting again and I didn't hear them sing it and I, so, I apologised to Mandy this morning because I heard that they'd sung it. But I was probably in the coffee queue. Uh, <laughs> this song is the goodness of God. And I would like to be remembered because this is what I believe. I love you, Lord. For your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up to the moment I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. The Hebrews were slow to understand the importance of a commitment to Jesus. Jesus is greater than Abraham, Moses, Jacob, the Levitical priests. Jesus, like Melchizedek, is both king and, pre and high priest, the ruler over mankind, the conduit to God. And even though they were in turmoil and running away because of the fear of being persecuted, Jesus was pursuing them. Your goodness is running after, running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything because your goodness is running after me. I pray that that is your wish to be genuine as you follow Christ. Thank you. Thank you, band.